But I have to preface with the fact that it is extraordinarily vulgar. Hey, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Elliot. And I'm Audrey. And this is the show where we ignore the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes. And instead, get to know the lesser-known legacies and real-life bad behavior of some of history's most notable folks. And beloved. Notable and beloved. And beloved. Well, yeah, mostly beloved. That's true. I mean... We're not going to pick the folks that everybody already knows are scum. I was, I have to throw away all my research on Attila the Hun for next week, unfortunately. <laughs> well, Genghis Khan. Actually. Yeah, man. Oh, well, sorry. At least you know now. Are you telling me we don't ever get to have a Vlad the Impaler episode? <laughs> I, you know what? I, surprise, spoiler alert, he impales a lot of people. Oh, right. <laughs> so probably not... Maybe so. Maybe mix it up. Who knows? Eventually, we will run out of ideas. The <laughs> we'll quality will bottom out. We'll just get a list of names and throw a dart. Look, I'm just, I'm in the spirit of trying new things, living a new life. It's mm-hmm. a new year. Turn over a new leaf. Mm-hmm. Open a new page and a new book. Yeah, it's also just like Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> it is pretty still Wednesday. I feel like you would have told me by now, but I guess now's as good a time as any to ask. Do you have any resolutions? Uh, I do not. I do mm. not have resolutions. You are not Taylor Swift doing good. You're on some new shit. No. How about you? Oh, I'm doing very poorly, and I'm on my same old bullshit. <laughs> the same exact. <laughs> good to know. Not changing a thing. Nothing if not consistent. It's what you get. I did see we had exciting podcast news. Mm. If you're not familiar, there there's this dashboard when we upload the podcast where it shows where it gets downloaded. So which countries and which episodes. Uh, and I got to say, we've cracked the top 50 in Austria this past week. We have. And I so the granularity is not like the data is not very granular. It really is just like, hey, how many people from this country listened and to what episodes? And um. I think we cracked the top 50, top 30, actually. Oh, ooh la la. Because it appears, and I'm only saying that this is one person. I can't, because it goes in order. Somebody in Austria listened to every single one of our episodes. (laughs) Oh, no. Which is like 50 hours worth (laughs) of our bullshit. How are you? Are you okay? I know. This is a cry for help. Just want to make sure if you need something, <laughs> reach out. Right. You can. You know where to find us. It's true. You've now listened to us say it 50 <laughs> times at the end of every episode. Yeah. Yikes. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Welcome to number 51. Yeah. We hope you like this week's episode. Yeah. Who? But speaking of which, who's this week's hero? This week's hero is a little known artist who goes by the name... Caravaggio. What do you know about Caravaggio? Uh, what do I know? Okay, so I have definitely heard the name. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know he's a painter. Yes. If I'm not mistaken, his paintings are usually very dark backgrounds and like somebody dying in the front. You've got the gist of it, sure. Yeah, that's... I mean, I'll tell you, that's about the level of detail I can get to. Great. Well, we will get into... 
Caravaggio-level detail about his art for about 90 seconds here in just a few minutes, but I don't really care about his art right now. <laughs> okay, I want to talk enough. about him. So just to help clarify his name. So he was born Michelangelo Marisi, mm-hmm. and then because he was born in Caravaggio, Italy, he then had the surname Da Caravaggio. Of Caravaggio, from of Caravaggio. Car- yes, but everybody knows him as Caravaggio. Got it. Okay. Okay. Luckily, not a second famous painter from there, or that would be very confusing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they would mix it up at that point. You have to. So he was born on September 29th in 1571. So here we go. Audrey's Astrology Corner. Libras born on September 29th are sensitive people who enjoy keeping secrets. They relate well on a one-to-one basis but have trouble in a larger forum. They have the typical Libra charm yet may not possess the confidence to exhibit it. They are extremely resourceful. And they value the experience of others and often owe their success to the help of a mentor. Considering that you too are a Libra and you are uh, charming and... Um, <laughs> resourceful. And like to keep secrets. That. Uh, I would say it sounds like he is going to be a very reasonable, understanding person. You are wrong. <laughs> But it sounds like that's a it's nice aspiration. Okay. Born on that date in Milan. When he was five, his family picked up and left Milan, moved to Caravaggio. That's where he gets the last name. Because at the time, the bubonic plague was ravaging Milan. Familiar? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Ooh. They had the means to move, so they left. Basically, his immediate family, his grandparents, they were fairly well connected. His dad was an architect and um, had political connections. Decides to work remotely. (laughs) Yeah, he's got that work from home, uh, that 16th century work from home style. Yep. Um, Unfortunately, he actually dies from home. Oh. They do not escape the bubonic plague. And within a year, all of the men in Caravaggio's family have been killed. His father and his grandfather actually die of the plague on the same day. Yikes. Bad yeah. day. They're still fairly well connected, and they have some means. So he and his mother are going to make it. They're still living in Caravaggio. Unfortunately, by the time Caravaggio is 11, his mother has also died. Now he is orphaned, has no political connections <laughs> as, yes, as, as a preteen. Orphan, turns out. <laughs> And he decides he has to figure out how to support himself. Decides or realizes. It takes a couple years. He's sort of like bouncing around tumultuous preteen, early teen experiences, just surviving. But by 1584, he begins his apprenticeship. So he's 13 at this point with an artist um, whose name is, man, I'm bad at Italian. I also did not take very many Italian art history renaissance classes in college that was not my vibe so okay if there are legitimate um 16th century art historians who listen to this podcast one i'm sorry <laughs> two why it's not going to make caravaggio look great yes <laughs> anyway so he's... oh no i'm thinking why are they listening please oh. <laughs> go someplace more reliable for your information <laughs> so he is apprenticing with an artist named peter zano 
this doesn't really matter for the story, but if there are 16th century art historians, they'll like this little tidbit. Peter Zano was a pupil of Titian. So... Oh, you don't say. You don't say. So if you do the math, Caravaggio is essentially the apprentice equivalent of the grandson of Titian. Okay. I'm assuming that would just like blow their minds. It's a nice little tidbit. You could throw that in at a party. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and a very specific party. I'm not throwing that in at parties <laughs> I go to. Have you seen the meme of the guy standing in the corner of the party? Yes. I'm imagining right now somebody standing in the corner of their next party just being looking like, at themselves being like, They don't know that Carvajal is, is the grandson of Prentice <laughs> This is you. This is you at your next party, actually. You're the one standing there. I don't go to parties. <laughs> Back to the story. Carvajal's art does not at all look like Peter Zano's. It okay. seems like he really did not give a fuck about the apprenticeship in earnest, but he was an incredible artist from early childhood and he needed a pathway to professionalize his craft. He got he got a basically a stamp of approval but didn't learn a lot from this guy. We're not going to talk a ton about Caravaggio's art, but I do think it's important to understand a little bit about his art because there are moments throughout his life that will influence his art. But also, Caravaggio is one of those artists that gets most separated from his like art versus artist. I mean, we did Picasso, so... But, but Picasso, people kind of know he's a misogynist. A lot of folks could see a Caravaggio in an art museum and be like, oh, that's a Caravaggio. Look at the lighting and not know anything about him as a person. Got it. Caravaggio's art was revolutionary and provocative at the time that he was creating. Kind of like Tila Tequila. Exactly like Tila Tequila. (laughs) There are a couple things that set Caravaggio apart from other people creating at this time. I'm going to talk about two of them. And if you're not interested in learning about why Caravaggio was a technically good artist, you can skip ahead like 90 seconds. But there's an article called Why Caravaggio Was as Shocking as His Paintings. And in it, Alistair Sook wrote, quote, First, he used models in an unorthodox and novel manner, pulling into his studio people from the streets, whom he then painted directly from life. Artists had always drawn from life, But no one posed their models and painted directly from life onto their final canvas. Caravaggio didn't bother with the academic study of drawing. He skipped that stage entirely because he believed in the importance of looking at nature. This resulted in paintings remarkable for their striking, in-your-face realism, which captured even the humblest details. If the model had dirty fingernails, for example, then Caravaggio would paint them. I can remember seeing a lot of his stuff and compared to other art at the time, which is like usually very, you know, idealized, very glossy, very like, oh, idyllic in some way. Yes, it's very direct. Right. There are some paintings where there are, for example, um, plants in them. And one of these paintings had to be studied by a, a horticulturist to be like, hey, is this accurate? And the guy was like, not only is it accurate, he left in this very specific fungus that went extinct in like 1700s. Okay, so that level of detail then. That level of detail. Controversially, he also used some unorthodox models in ways that were incredibly exploitative. 
There are stories, for example, of him painting corpses. What? And then beautifying them for some of the more grotesque art that he created. Um, those Where are... does he get his corpses? I have no idea what the 16th century corpse market looks like. And some of those stories, historians um, refute, but there seems to be at least enough evidence for these anecdotes to be shared in a number of publications. Sure. So unorthodox models, unorthodox details. The second big thing and most widely known thing about Caravaggio's art is his use of light. The term for using light and shadows to accentuate form and details and sort of tell the story of art is called chiaroscuro. And this technique existed before Caravaggio, but Caravaggio's was so next level, it actually got its own name called tenebrism. And this is a heightened form of using light and dark in contrast. And it's not by accident. So Caravaggio was incredibly specific about the lighting that he would use. Never daylight. Always had to be from above. And this allowed him to paint in striking detail. And it also allowed him to use light as part of the storytelling. For example, there is a lot of symbolism in Caravaggio's art that comes from his use of light. Okay. Shadows could be emblematic of drama or secret. Um, It wasn't just functional in the way that, like, if you drew a still life, you're going to draw the shadow. Yeah, it was, it meant something in the the painting. Part of the narrative. But now we're back to his life story. 1592, he's 21. He leaves Milan to go to Rome. That's the happening place for art. Still is. But (laughs) he goes, he arrives, quote, naked and penniless. Is that literal? It is near literal. Wow. Okay. He is at the time fleeing Milan after the first of many quarrels that in this case involved wounding a police officer. Oh, fun. There is also some speculation given the tumultuous nature of his childhood and the crowds with which he ran that... He is responsible for or involved in at least one murder during his teenage years. Wait, at least one murder? It is very difficult to find record of this because at the time, violence was sort of common. And so for there to be unsolved murders or sort of uh, incidental murders. Like their name for the unsolved murders was just all those murders. All those (laughs) murders. Especially because a lot of it's attributed to like, I don't want to say gang. That's how it's referred to in a lot of articles. Gang gang he ran with. But it's like the 16th century swordsman. Okay. It's a rough and tumble crowd. I mean, it sounds like they're out there killing people. So I, I, I wouldn't mess with them. I mean, right. His, he had such a volatile existence as a child that it's noted he fell into a group of quote painters and swordsmen who lived by the motto without hope without fear and you know what if you have neither of those you probably are going to kill somebody rebel without a cause that's that's (laughs) what you're doing nothing to gain nothing to lose just living life and painting ladies painting lots lots of people within a few months he arrives in rome He's working closely with a number of artists, many of whom are much worse artists than him, but he's got to find an inroad somewhere. 
He showed up naked. You gotta do what he, do what you gotta do. <laughs> do what you gotta do. He is known throughout his life, but this is where it starts to get documented, for having a substantial number of patrons who commission art consistently. He is not a starving artist. He is not one of those artists that's like, oh, where's my next job coming from? He's not like Gauguin, right? He is a prolific artist in high demand. And one biographer noted that he would, quote, work intensely for a fortnight and then swagger about for a month or two with a sword at his side from one tennis court to the next, ever ready to engage in a fight for an argument with the result that is most difficult to get along with him. Uh, yeah, I imagine so. Does not sound like a pleasant guy to be around. No. So he has all of these rich patrons. He is in high demand and he is still just like bad boy for life. This proves to be quite a complicating factor in his life because as his success grows, so does his proclivity for getting in trouble. Like I've mentioned, he was notoriously violent, but he also had these very dangerous mood swings. He drank a ton and he loved to gamble. Sounds like a fantastic combination. What could go wrong? Well, I'll tell you what could go wrong. (laughs) In the early years of the 17th century, so now we've crossed over into early 1600s, he was brought to trial on at least 11 documented occasions. And here's a list of the reasons he was brought to trial. A few of the reasons. Okay, okay. Attacking other painters. Being accused of hiring assassins to kill other painters. Throwing a plate of artichokes at a waiter. Attacking guards with stones. And carrying a sword without a permit. Man, got that thing on me. (laughs) Unlicensed, though. (laughs) So, So you're saying he's more like the Lil Wayne of his time. Recognized, wealthy. A felon. A felon. Yeah. But here's my personal favorite reason that he's brought to court. So he writes this satirical poem about a rival artist who then sues him for libel. And I'm going to be honest, satirical is a loose term here. And I'm going to quote what he actually wrote. But I have to preface with the fact that it is extraordinarily vulgar. So if you are uncomfortable with explicit, excessive vulgarity, the next 10 seconds are going to be real hard for you. Part of the poem says, quote, wipe your arse with his paintings or stuff them up up the cunt of his wife because he isn't fucking her anymore with his donkey cock. (laughs) (laughs) How is that an insult, though? I don't know, but I'll tell you what. It was insulting enough that he actually got put in jail for a couple (laughs) weeks. (laughs) He got put in jail for that? He did. He also, during this time, spent time in jail for, and I think this might be a euphemism, offending a woman and her daughter. Mm, Sounds like it, yes. The next part is not a euphemism. He cursed at a police officer. Okay. Then he failed to pay rent for six months. Well, that'll get you. And he tried to get out of the last one by literally falling on his own sword. (laughs) Wait, what? But he only wounded himself. Yeah, he was tired of going to jail, probably drunk, tried to fall on his own. So dramatic. Keep in mind, this does not stop him from being the most famous painter in Rome. Okay, okay. If anything, it's sort of like all news is good news. It was inconvenient for his patrons because 
they essentially bailed him out time and time again. And but they kind of knew what they were getting into. Yes. It's kind of the bad boy mystique at that point. He'll paint your portrait, but you got to go bail him out first. (laughs) His art is very much liked. His personality is very much disliked. It's interesting when you look back at his body of work around this time from like the late 1500s to the early before 1610, basically. And you realize that the vast majority of his art are actually stories from the Bible. That's not where I thought you were going with that. But they're the stories like Judith beheading Holofernes. Oh, I've forgotten about that one. There's uh, David holding Goliath's head. Oh, yeah. A classic. A classic. It's just like a lot of beheadings. There are several in the Bible. That is true. You would know more than I. Yeah. Having never read the Bible. I am, of the two of us, the beheadings expert of the family. (laughs) Yes. I get all of my uh, biblical teachings from... Carvaggio. There you go. In fact. So he's working, working, working. Prolific, prolific, blah, blah, blah. He's sowing chaos all the while. Things reach a fever pitch in 1606. In 1606, Carvaggio kills a Roman pimp named Tomasoni. Oh, my. The cause of the murder has been disputed among historians. Not great records about why someone would kill someone in the I mean, 1600s or yeah 1600s yeah so but if you're at the stage in his life where you have this track record let's just try to imagine for ourselves a scenario where he's getting into a fight with someone who's trafficking people uh there's a there's a few reasons you might come to a disagreement uh but none of them are going to be good reasons would you like to know the reasons that are generally listed sure okay does it have something to do with sex work Very little, in fact. So it could potentially be because of a debt. You know, Caravaggio loved to gamble. Um, Seedy crowd. The most well-known story is that there was a quarrel after a game of tennis. Uh, Another argument is that Caravaggio was in love with Tomasoni's wife, Lavinia. So they end up in a duel. This is not just like, oh, he comes up behind him and stabs him. Oh, this is like an honor thing. It's like an honor thing. But the stories of this are grandiose and, I would say, hyperbolic, which, again, leads to some skepticism of their credibility. But here's what we do know. At some point, Caravaggio castrates Tomasoni. Wait, what? And then that may have led to Tomasoni dying or accidentally dying, right? Like, oh, I'm just going to castrate you and you're going to accidentally die. Or that the other story is that he castrated him and then killed him on purpose. Either way, you end up with a dead pimp. Yeah, I feel like we're splitting hairs here. Uh, right. Yeah. The, the, it seems like overall the message you're sending is pretty clear. Walking around with this unlicensed sword, Just... plays a game of tennis, gets in a duel, castrates a man, and immediately hits the bricks. He's like, oh shit, I'm very famous and I just castrated someone in public. It's time for me to leave. Oh, this was in public? It's a duel. Did you not watch Bridgerton? (laughs) It was public enough for folks to know that this happened. Okay, fair enough. So he's got to get out of town. Because he is so well known in Rome that he has to flee almost immediately. In addition to the fact that He's just committed murder, and there will be consequences. 
There was also immediately a decree written that allowed anyone in Rome who recognized Caravaggio to behead him on the spot for this murder. Holy shit. No, no like, innocent until proven guilty here. Mm-mm. This is very much yep. vigilante justice. No penalty if you kill Caravaggio. Have at it. Wow. But it's just in Rome. He flees to Naples, then Malta, eventually Sicily. He travels fast, in demand, working hard. The story of his crime doesn't actually move as quickly as he does. He is this in-demand painter who has patrons and credibility. He's in need of money because he left basically all of it back in Rome. Yeah, in a hurry. And so if you look at his um, history or portfolio of art, you can see basically the path he took to get away from Rome. Goes to Naples, creates, yep, just like that. No one knows about this murder for the most part, but he knows. And he is becoming increasingly paranoid as a result. Well, I mean, in his defense, if there was an open order out that said anybody in a certain city could behead me on the spot, I would be fucking paranoid, too. I would be worried (laughs) about that. And it would probably show up in your art, right? I would assume so. So we have all of these biblical paintings with all of these beheadings that suddenly look a whole lot like Carvaggio's head. Interesting. Worlds colliding. Taking these stories, just, hey, uh, this could be me showing up in his art. He is so nervous and stressed out. He sleeps in his clothes. Sometimes he wears armor to bed. He clutches a dagger all night in case he needs to, I don't know, kill someone else and make a quick escape. Yeah. And you would think, okay, I've already killed one guy. That made me very paranoid. I can't go back home. This is very stressful. I'm going to get my shit together. That was maybe rock bottom. I'm going to turn it around. Sounds like a great direction to take it in and a healthy move. Almost like if he had a New Year's resolution. There we go. He did not. Spoiler. But instead, in 1608, so this is roughly 18 months after the murder, he goes on to attack the most senior knight in the Order of St. John in Malta. He is jailed but somehow manages to escape within a month, and he flees again. My man's got a self-destructive streak right here. Unfortunately, he doesn't get far before the man that he maimed in Malta catches up to him. So outside of a tavern, the senior knight, or perhaps some men that the senior knight commissioned, (laughs) attack Caravaggio. He is seriously and permanently disfigured in this fight, and as a result begins to behave in increasingly erratic ways. Oh, we we have more levels to go to from here? He realizes that he needs to clear his conscience or he will self-destruct entirely. (laughs) He's already killed several people. (laughs) He's on the run, killing people while he's on the run. (laughs) Well, now he wants to go home. And he knows the only person who could give him a pardon is the Pope himself. Hadn't hadn't thought about that card to pull. He, at this point, has enough professional credibility and connections to reach out to the Pope's nephew. And he's like, hey, what's up? How you doing, friend? If I give you a whole bunch of paintings and agree to do work for the church for free, do you think the Pope would pardon me? The nephew's like, let me talk to him. I'll go hang out with him. 
I'm going to tell also your patrons that you want to come back to Rome. And I think like with their money and influence, because that's what it takes, we could probably secure you a pardon. And the decree will be eliminated. Start making your way back here. By the time you get here, we can probably make it happen. No offense to the Pope's nephew, <laughs> but if there was an open order to behead me on the spot and is like, yeah, yeah, just head over. I'm sure we'll have worked that out by the time you get here. I would rather wait, thanks. He probably should have waited because here's, it's all downhill. Yeah. He gets on a boat. He starts heading north. He's like, okay, I'm going to make it back to Rome. I'm pretty far away. This is going to take me a couple of weeks, maybe a month. My friends are working on it. Going to make it happen, though. At one point, the boat he's on stops and is docked. He is once again arrested for something. He can't keep track at this point. He doesn't even know. <laughs> doesn't even know. Finagles his way out of that. Gets back on another boat. He, at this point, has been delayed. So he's like, oh, yeah, for sure. By the time I get there, they will have worked this out. Very shortly before he arrives in Naples, he drops dead. What? Dead. Dunzo. Out cold. His cause of death, like many other things in his life, has been hotly debated. Over the years, it has been attributed to a number of things. And here is a list of the possible causes of Carvaggio's death. One, fever. He did have a fever when he died, apparently. Two, assassination. Very different than fever. Very different. Don't know if that could cause a fever. Stress? I don't know. Poisoning? Three, syphilis. Yeah, that makes sense. Four, malaria. Five, I do not know how to pronounce this word at all, brucolosis. Brucolosis? I don't even know what that word is. It is um, a bacterial infection from unpasteurized dairy. Six, possible sepsis from the cut he had on his now disfigured face. Um, but the reality is he probably likely died of some combination of any number of those things, plus prolonged exposure to lead from the paint that he used. I we, mean, I'm surprised on our list of things we didn't just include, like, karma yeah. as one of them. <laughs> yeah, the lead theory is, like, the most recent theory, but they did essentially exhume some bones that people are like, yeah, it's like 90% Garbaggio's bones, probably. They had a ton of lead in them, and even if it didn't kill him, it would have attributed to his violent outburst, which, again, grew increasingly erratic, despite the fact that... It was getting worse and worse for him. Yes. Yes. I also like the theory that it was... He died because of all of those reasons simultaneously. He could have been. Syphilitic fever <laughs> with lead poisoning. He was assassinated <laughs> in revenge for his earlier... Yeah, I just think, why not? Go, why not? go for broke. And so his legacy, actually, after he died, was one of obscurity. He went from being the most famous painter in Rome to being largely shunned. Um, he never got that pardon. He was never able to sort of rectify his name. Uh, his patrons still loved him. His art was preserved. Churches still hung his art, despite its controversy. But to the layperson, he was considered a criminal, he was men mentally ill, and just a general ne'er-do-well. And it wasn't until the late 20th century that his work took on the sort of romanticism that we know it for now, right? Art historians long before that were like, oh my goodness, Caravaggio, this is incredible. But the general public 
didn't come to see Caravaggio's work as extraordinary or as romantic. Even the people who knew him as a rebel didn't really think it was like as bad as it was. It was kind of like this anti-bourgeois painter from the streets who lived a ragtag life and had all this beautiful art. Just unlicensed sword cutting people's dicks off making beautiful (laughs) art, you know. Yeah, that gets left out. Anyway, in the late 19th century, a number of high-profile filmmakers and other artists actually start to cite Caravaggio as inspirations. His name takes on a new meaning. Martin Scorsese, for example, credits Mm. Caravaggio with inspiring a ton of his directorial decisions and his lighting and his um, treatment of people in frame, etc. There's one contemporary artist named Matt Collingshaw who I think sums up Caravaggio's influence pretty well. And I'll leave the episode at this. Caravaggio is one of those artists you don't need to read about and study because as a painter, he's so visceral. He just hits you right there. When Caravaggio was painting, the common people weren't going to church looking for lessons in aesthetics and art history. They just wanted a relationship with God. And Caravaggio gave it to them in a language they could understand. He's so brutally real. He doesn't embellish or decorate, but gives you life as it is, with his dirty feet right in your face. And while he is certainly an artistic genius, for all of the murdering... The castration, the maiming of folks, the terrible poetry. Caravaggio is not my hero. I don't know. I kind of actually like the poetry part. <laughs> the rest of it, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on board with. But uh, I feel like that's that's a little in his plus column. He does not mince words. If nothing else, uh, whether it is his art. Or his uh, police officer stabbing. I feel like what you see is what you get with him. I feel like he would appreciate you saying that. What you see is what you get with us also. And you can see more of us on our social media channels. That are much less artistic than anything Garbaggio would ever dream to create. In fact, he would probably be ashamed to be associated with my Canva.com produced social media images. Speak for yourself. I think your Canvas are great. (laughs) Got a style. Got a brand kit. Yeah, it's pretty solid. font. Colors. Very consistent. Mm, Very consistent. At Your Heroes Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also find us at MeetYourHeroesPodcast.com and submit... From there, any person, any hero, a notable and beloved person from history that you would like for us to feature, you can also just message message us on Twitter or Instagram. And um, yeah, we'd love to make that happen. Yeah. And if you are from a European country with a population of less than 100 million people, if you want to just go ahead and listen to every episode at once, make <laughs> us climb the charts in your country, then that would be fantastic too. Also, rate, rate us and review. It's always helpful. Until next week. Don't be a hero. Don't be a hero. Bye.